I was a kid growing up in Jersey. Uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call him a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. I slipped by the stream, heaven blazing in my head. I dreamt a monstrous dream. Something came up out of the sea, swept through the land of the rich and the free. This is Pod Dylan, the show that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan, one song at a time. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, the freewheeling Rob Kelly. And this week, we are talking about Cross the Green Mountain from the Gods and General soundtrack. And joining me to talk about this song is returning Bobcat, Douglas LaRose. Hi, Douglas. Hey, Rob. How you doing? I'm doing great. It's nice to have you back on the show. It's, it's great to be here. So, okay, let's talk <laughs> about... <laughs> let's talk about Cross the Green Mountain. I'm sorry, I don't mean to be laughing, but it's just, it's, there's a lot to say about this song. And this song, you know, exists in that weird universe of, you know, it was done as a soundtrack song and it mm-hmm. exists kind of only in that context. It is even uh, more rarefied and then it's a song with a video. We don't have that many Bob Dylan videos. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. We're going to talk about the, the, the video. Uh, there's lots of lyrics to cover because this is a very long song. But, I mean, you asked to do this one, Doug. So <laughs> I am curious, what is it about this song that made you want to talk about? So, so this song really came out in, like, a sweet spot for me because, you know, Love and Theft came out in 2001, and then there was kind of nothing much in, in 2002 except for that terrible song, Waiting for You. <laughs> oh, I like that song. Oh, I... I uh, uh, Douglas! I, 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 kind of, <laughs> I kind of felt like when I heard that song for the first time that, like... I was like, oh, no, is this kind of, is Bob kind of going, you know, going south here? But then <laughs> this song came out, and uh, I, I did not buy the soundtrack for Gods and Generals. Um, and I've never seen the movie, and I never will see the movie. I can promise you that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I did happen to get a copy of it, uh, uh, an MP3. And I was just blown away by by how beautiful it was and how uh, how great his, his his vocal performance was on this track. And I, and I just, I love the lyrics. Um, it's epic. It's a very epic, uh, in some ways, it's kind of like Tin Angel and that kind of repetitive bass line. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of lived with me. Um, and, you know, I, I was like 23 years old or something when it came out. So it just, you know, it, I was living in North Carolina and it reminds me of all the, you know, the colors of, of the, the, the landscape there. And, you know, and it's, it's about the South and the Civil War. So just a really cool kind of historical piece of Americana from Dylan. <laughs> Interesting. I on a piece of paper here, I have your name next to waiting for you. I'll just cross that off here. Um, so, <laughs> so, <laughs> so let's uh, let's continue on with the lyrics a little bit. Uh, the second verse is: I look into the eyes of my merciful friend, and then I ask myself, "Is this the end?" Memories linger, sad yet sweet, and I think of the souls in heaven who will meet. Altars are burning with flames falling wide. The foe has crossed over from the other side. They tip their caps from the top of the hill. You can feel them come, more brave blood to spill. So, okay, um, I did buy the soundtrack to this <laughs> record because it had a Bob Dylan song on it, and that was my bar for buying. I would buy soundtracks that just had one Dylan song because this is 2002 this came out, or 2003, mm-hmm. and this is, you know, iTunes was around, but it was still, I don't know, I just I still wasn't in that headspace as much of, like, buying things on the Internet. So I still went to like physical media and, you know, shelled out seventeen ninety nine for the gods <laughs> in general soundtrack. And there's some other songs in it that are interesting. Uh, I, you know, you mentioned the movie, I, I'm going to reveal my prejudice. I have zero interest in this movie. Zero. Um, not because it's a civil war movie, because I I'm perfectly fine with that, but I got the sense um, that it was basically, you know, the South's point of view from the civil war and i i don't care what their view was i don't care i don't i don't want to see people bravely flying the confederate flag just not interested in that and you know maybe i'm selling the movie short it certainly has a very stellar cast of jeff daniels robert duvall uh is in this movie so i'm i you know i mean to say it's like a bad movie because again i have not seen it but i mean i sort of think about 
what I why what my reaction was when I saw Gone with the Wind as like an adult. I'm like, they're signed with the South here. Like, what is that? You know, what am I what am I watching? So you know, there's part of me that's like, all right, the movie's a separate thing, and I don't need necessarily to see the movie to to appreciate the song. From what I understand of how it's placed in the movie, it's over the end credits. Um, I mean, of course it would because this song is like seven or eight minutes long. Um, so fine. I don't feel like I need to see the movie to understand the song. So the song itself, uh, I will say of, I mean, there is, there is a threshold to which no Bob Dylan song ever goes below, uh, for the most part, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, ugliest girl in the world or, you know, they killed him or stuff. There is some stuff that I really don't ever want to listen to, but generally even Bob Dylan songs that I don't love don't sink below a certain threshold. And this is one of the songs that I appreciate, I admire, but I don't love. It just doesn't resonate with me the way other works of his does. And and I can even compare it to another song. We'll get to that in a little bit about how I think mm-hmm. there's another song in his catalog that conveys this same mood, but does it a lot better in like a quarter of the time. But we'll get to <laughs> that shortly. But, um, but in the song itself, I mean... It's certainly the the orchestration is certainly beautiful. I love the way the song just comes in uh, immediately with all the instruments crashing in, and it does have, of course, that beautiful mournful feel because this is a song sung from the point of view of a young Civil War, uh, a young soldier uh, participating in the bloodiest fight knock on wood that we've ever had in this country. So mm-hmm. I, I can appreciate it from, from that level. And lyrically, you could tell it's a song that I think Dylan probably, you, we all get the sense Bob reads a lot, especially about the civil war. Uh, and I feel like a lot of that interest probably was already on his mind. And then that got to get poured into this song. Yeah, I would absolutely agree with that. I think that he kind of, he kind of nerded out a little bit and, mm-hmm. and maybe- took it a little bit too far in some ways with this song. <laughs> <laughs> tried, tried to kind of, yeah, lo- load it up too much. Um, but yeah, I, I, I do have the same sense that he has all these old dusty books, you know, that were printed, you know, 80 years ago. Right, right. Sitting around and he's just, you know, going through them, you know, pulling lines out, um, you know, reading about obscure battles. Like, I, like, I'll just say, first of all, like, I know nothing about the Civil War. I mean, I, I know what I learned in high school about the Civil War. And... And, and, you know, I, I, it's so for people out there who are like civil war nuts, like I, I, I apologize if, 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 if in, you know, going through these lyrics, um, you know, I, I don't, I, I miss some reference to some obscure ba- battle of bull run two or whatever, but, hmm. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting stuff, but I, I do see Bob uh, really like if, if somebody kind of puts this carrot out there, you know, he's just ready to go. <laughs> in as far as you've ever been able to find is the is the phrase the green mountain a particularly resonant phrase i was not able to find anything it's not the way when he says in the song highland we know that's a, a right. cultural reference i was not able to find anything about the green mountain as if it meant anything in particular uh i mean i you know when you initially the song sounds like the guy the guy who was singing is still it, well the first line seems to suggest that the guy's alive. The guy who was singing is alive. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. then when he says, I dreamt a monstrous dream, well, that could be someone who is replaying their whole life as they're dying. You know, they're, they're your whole mm-hmm. life flashing before their eyes. So that's, I just don't know whether the crossing the green mountain is a particular phrase for crossing into the underworld or crossing into death. I don't know. Again, like you, I don't know this stuff. Uh, and maybe that's one of the reasons why the song doesn't, hit me the way it does for other people or something. But yeah, I mean, I will say someone in my family is a civil war reenactor. Mm. So, so they, maybe they get appreciated or something. I'm not going to ask them, but maybe because <laughs> I, because I just said they're a civil war reenactor. And, uh, um, but you know, the idea that the whole song is being told from someone who is potentially on the, on the ground somewhere, some dirty, filthy mud soaked ground and they're about to die does lend it a a weight to it that is you know very profound because you know we all we're all going to face that moment at some point hopefully not like this poor guy is and especially 
he's fighting in this cause, which he believes is just, but um, it's, like you said, there's a lot of, there's probably lots of references in here that only Bob understands and uh, him and six other guys that have read every book about the civil, read everything that Horton Foote has ever written, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. I, I, I take cross the green mountain to be because that actually, if, if you read the lyrics and I, I did some research on the, you know, d- different interpretations, the song has two parts. Like the first part is from the perspective of the soldier. And then the second part is after the soldier is dead. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, it's, it begins with the, you know, the letter to mother part of the song. Mm-hmm. And that's actually, interestingly enough, that's where the music video ends is right before that, that um, verse comes in. That's right. So I think it's about um, I think I think maybe the Green Mountain is you know crossing from life to death, right? Um, but that's you know just a, a very uh, I, I actually hadn't thought about it that deeply the the title itself. Um, but yeah, I think that that could be a, maybe a way to look at it. I do. It is worth mentioning because I mean the show is about the obsessive Bob Dylan nerd details. This song <laughs> because it starts with an apostrophe because the song is not across the green mountain it's across the green mountain with an apostrophe this is the first song if you go to bobdylan.com and you hit the songs tab this is the first song you see because they do it alphabetically and this song gets shuffled in and ahead of the a titles because of the apostrophe so unless bob records a song that is apostrophe a or apostrophe b this will be the first song ever this will always be the first song in a list of Bob Dylan songs alphabetically. Huh. <laughs> the apostrophe across the agreement. I'm glad I could bring that little factoid to the world. <laughs> Very important information. Um, you mentioned that fourth verse. It says, along the dim Atlantic line, the ravaged land lies for miles behind. The lights coming forward and the streets are broad, almost yield to the avenging God. And as you just said, that's the, where the, the music video stops. Mm-hmm. Uh, it cuts off. And again, we're going to talk about the video uh, in a little bit. It's, I mean, it does feel a little weird that it's truncated like that, but at the same time, like, well, they're not going to, they're not going to make an eight minute music video. They're not going to do that. Nobody's going to watch that. (laughs) So, uh, but then the the song picks up, the world is old, the world is gray. Lessons of life can't be learned in a day. I watch and I wait and I listen while I stand to the music that comes from a far better land. Now, one of the, I mean, I did some research on this and I looked at other people's interpretations and one person I saw I think I saw it in the comments over at bob.dylan.co.uk, uh, the Tony Atwood site, which I read quite a bit. Someone mm-hmm. had an idea that he, they thought this song was referring in at least some oblique ways to 9-11 because this was apparently the first new Dylan song post 9-11, composed post 9-11. Um, mm-hmm. And the, the line about lessons of life can't be learned in a day. Uh, that does feel like it has some 9-11 resonance to me is that I remember that day. I mean, everyone does. And we were trying to figure out what the world meant now in that day. And I was like, you can't, you can't take it all in, in that day. You need time mm-hmm. to comprehend it all. Uh, do you, what, what's your read on that line? Do you, do you see like a civil war resonance to that line? What does that line mean to you? I guess I should ask. Yeah. I mean, lessons of life can't be learned in a day. I, I mean, I think that that, that that's wisdom that you know you can kind of apply to to, to anything. I mean, I mean about just you know life in general. I mean, how many times have you thought, "I wish I could go back to myself when I was twenty years old and say, hey, you know, <laughs> give yourself some time to figure this stuff out.'" Often, <laughs> exactly. Um, I, I actually did read that that nine eleven interpretation, and I thought it was pretty compelling because um, they they actually did um, you know cite specific lyrics. I think by the stream, land of the rich and the free altars are burning and i did think it was pretty compelling especially you know coming on the heels of the event itself and the song being a song about history you know very specifically almost almost like obscenely history specific um i i did actually find that that argument to be pretty compelling um i have to be honest uh but yeah that that is a really great line though that you know lessons of life can't be learned i mean the way that bob dylan phrases it and his his vocal is, is just beautiful but again, I mean, I think it's also a stretch to try to connect it to 9-11. But, mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know, if you want to look for patterns, you can find them a lot of the times. That's true. If you, Yeah, you can be <laughs> like that that gif from uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia with all the pegs and all the red lines connecting right. everything. Yeah, yeah, you can just go on forever. Uh, I mean, I love the line about 
Uh, I watch and I wait and I listen while I stand to the music that comes from a far better land, which, and then there, I think that's when like the, you hear that fiddle coming in at that yeah. point. And I really do like that because the idea that, um, you know, uh, something better awaits us on the other side. And mm-hmm. it's referring to it as music that comes from a far better land. Cause of course, Bob Dylan, to me, I would imagine there's nothing holier in Bob Dylan's mind than music, mm-hmm. good music. And the idea that referring to what you might be experiencing on the other side of the, the mirror is music is to me a very beautiful way of phrasing it. Uh, especially when again, you're realizing what he's conveying, you're talking about, you know, how awful the battles of the civil war were. This is before any conception of modern medicine. So this is, you know, this is a war when if you had a particularly, you know, uh, intractable bullet wound, they just hacked your leg off. You know, I mean, it was like, you know, I mean, not that uh, it wasn't, not that it was all uh, fun and games of World War One or World War Two, but just so many. I remember reading somewhere years ago that like so many of the people that died in the Civil War died from medical treat, just bad medical treatment because they just didn't have the technology. Yeah, like infections and yeah. yeah, yeah, right, stuff like that. So the idea that Bob Dylan is using such kind of beautiful poetic language to describe such a grim dirty filthy event uh it's it's got some wonderful sort of irony to it and by the way speaking of of irony that <laughs> opening the the fourth line the something came up out of the sea that swept through the land of the rich and the mm-hmm, free mm-hmm. that's got to be dripping with irony because of course this is not the land of the free that's what the damn war is about we're not free you know that, so uh, that that's actually to me the best verse of the song and, and the one that you know i kind of I dive, I dove into that one the most because, uh, I mean, that something came up out of the sea, that the Leviathan kind of... Just, like, like a sea monster, you know. Sea yeah. monster, right. And I, and I think he's talking about slavery. I, I, I think he's referring to slavery. And, and, and um, you know, in some ways there's a connection, you know, maybe to, to Blind Willie McTell, you know, the ghost of slavery's ships, mm. the cracking of the whips, this land is condemned, you know, all those those lines in that song. I think he's, I think he's... You know, not inadvertently kind of bringing up that that same vision that he saw in Infidels, uh, you know, when he was, you know, down in the Caribbean, um, you know, connecting American history to the to the slave trade, which is mm-hmm. obviously a very close connection. So, I mean, I guess in your mind, he, at least the narrator, I, I always I'm always jumping to say Bob Dylan is saying, but you got to stay away from that. It's the narrator is mm-hmm. saying that the land, the, the America, as we knew it, was rich and free before uh the white man came and it was this it was bringing over the slaves that is the sea monster is the the leviathan Mm -hmm. that came and took it over because before the white man was there it was the native americans and it was the Mm -hmm. it was a rich land and that it 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 provided for its people through animals and through plants you know through the through the land and it was it was free and it was only by us bringing over slaves that it became not free anymore at that point. Right. Right. And, it, and the, and the, it was a war, the, the war was about protecting, you know, the South tried to protect its capital, you right. know, the, in the form of slavery. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a really, and it's interesting because rich and free, I think is intended to be co- contrasted with brave and free or the free and the brave. Mm-hmm. So maybe like, instead of bravery, it's, you know, he's trying to, you know, really get to the heart of the matter. It, it was it was a war about wealth and who controls wealth. Um, later on in the song, it continues on. It says, close the eyes of our captain. Peace may he know. His long night is done. The great leader is laid low. He was yeah. ready to fall. He was quick to defend. Killed outright he was by his own men. What, uh, that's one of the verses that sort of jumps out at me is like, what are we, who are we, what's happening here? I am not really sure because obviously, the 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 person who is talking in the initial parts of the song is could still be talking but now he doesn't i i get the sense the song opens with someone dying and then that verse doesn't seem to match that and then killed outright he was by his own men is that a fragging or is that by accident i think that he i, I think that you know in, in the in the great tradition of bob dylan songs about war he it's always about you know at the end of the day when you when you're in battle and you come face to face with your enemy, you realize that they're a human being just like you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that that resonates a lot in John Brown. Yes. Um, and then uh, even even like the Universal Soldiers, that that's on the new 1970, uh, you know, very quietly released <laughs> set of recordings. <laughs> yeah. 
that's the second track and it has kind of that same kind of um message to it but i think that's i think that's what he's trying to get at but i did read that that the 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 great leader laid low is stonewall jackson Mm -hmm. and again i mean you know that that that's a confederate general and there's not much room in my heart for Confederate generals. So I, I, I'm, I'm totally with you on the, on the um, kind of uh, anti-pro-South Civil War movie. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, not going to pick any videos from that aisle anytime no, soon. No, no. I, I, you know, I'm just, that stuff I just tune out. I'm like, all right, I don't want to hear it. I, especially, especially since what we've all been through uh, in the last couple oh. of months, seeing the, seeing the Confederate flag flying in places it should be, well, it shouldn't be flown anywhere uh, outside of museums, but it especially should not be flown inside, you know, oh, I don't know, the U.S. Capitol. So I just have zero tolerance for anybody waving that thing around. I'm just like, okay, not going to go. I'm a a wuss, so I'm not going to go get up in your face, but I also want nothing to do with you. So like I said, it's like movies that seem to be slightly on the side of that. I just, yeah. Yeah. But anyway, we already talked about it. So um, (laughs) I'm going on and on about it. Um, the song continues. It's the last day's last hour of the last happy year. I feel that the unknown world is so near. Pride will vanish and glory will rot, but virtue lives and cannot be forgot. That opening line, last day's last hour of the last happy year. Again, this is something I've said on numerous episodes. I am always impressed with Bob Dylan's uh, verbal dexterity mm-hmm. that he can say a line. First of all, he can just say a line at all. I can't tell when I have any episodes of Pod Dylan I've had to retake the opening to because I misread the line. <laughs> uh, and I'm just reading it. You know, I'm not singing it, for God's sakes. But um, he's able to say certain lines that I think when you read it on a page, reads kind of clumsy or is it just doesn't have that. It looks weird. But when you hear a human voice, especially his voice, sing it, it builds upon itself in a way that you can't put your finger on. But like the the line when I read it, last days, last hour of the last happy year, looks repetitive. It doesn't look yeah. graceful. But yet when he sings it, the way that he it builds last day, last hour, last happy year, this feeling of we're down to the wire. We're down. Okay. This is it. It and it's to me when I hear him sing it, it sounds profound. But when I read it just as words on a page, it doesn't come off that way. And again, that's all credit to his voice there's he's got that timber in his voice that makes that line work in a way that i think a lot of other people may be singing and it would it would sound clumsy yeah absolutely yeah i i agree i mean when i read when i read the lyrics on paper i felt the same way uh about certain lines and you know throughout his catalog and yeah and then the, the way he delivers and like i think it was the last episode you're the, the one that just recently came out about um uh, my own version of you, how the you were talking about it, one of the songs where he says table. I think the Lonesome Death of Heidi Carroll. Yeah, right. Yeah, he when, you, when you read it, it's kind of like when you read it, you're kind of like you know what kind of poet would ever <laughs> put the word table, you know, back to back to back like he's that. rhyming uh, table with table. Like oh, okay, yeah, exactly. But yeah, he he yeah the the way he delivers that 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 line is just it's beautiful. Yeah, and I think his vocal performance on this is one one of his better ones. Um, you know, it, it's it's very. This is something that feels like, or sounds like, it could have been recorded like last year. Mm-hmm. I, I I hadn't listened to it for a while, um, and then when I when I you know wanted to kind of go after this, kind of swing for the fences with this choice, <laughs> I went back and started listening to it, you know, over and over again. And I was like, this sounds like it could have been released like in in 2020. Like it has that sand. Even the band, like the relaxed kind of, you know, it's it's like. Knocking on Heaven's Door meets like a New Orleans funeral march kind of sound, <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's beautiful. But yeah, I I I, I can see um, also why it's a little bit um, contrived, you know, because of the maybe because it's part of a soundtrack. I always wonder about that. About uh, how does a I mean, look, I you know Bob Dylan uh, for all of his artistic aspirations, and there are many, and he succeeds at it. He's also a commercial artist. Mm-hmm. Uh, these these songs are put on things that you are then uh, asked to give money for. So um, he has all those considerations. But I do wonder how, like, what I would I've never been able to find any uh, res- any information on how the song came about. Whether Dylan had some sort of notion of a song like this, and then he was approached, and it was like, oh, this fits what I've, I have this piece I have, or it was sort of made to order. And I always wonder, how do you write a song 
uh, in that context. Now, of course, Dylan's done it many times, knocking on heaven's door or, uh, you know, the, the band of the hand, we got to get to that one day, band of the hand, um, <laughs> or the, uh, the, uh, waiting for you, one of your favorites. I always wonder how he does that. Like if, if, if the uh, filmmakers come to him and say, this is what we're looking for. And, uh, or things have changed. Of course, I believe I just didn't mention things have changed, but like, I, I always wonder how he comes at that, whether it's like, you know, if, if he's Bob Dylan, from what we understand or how he does, how he comes up with his, his songs, he either feels it or he doesn't. And uh, sometimes, you know, some great songs that he just ain't feeling, he leaves by the side of the road. Yeah. Cueing much gnashing of teeth by Dylan fans. But if he's not feeling it, he's not feeling it. But I wonder when he's, when he's contracted to write a soundtrack song, what happens if he just doesn't have anything? He just, he just isn't feeling it. Or he comes up with something and the producers go, that's not what we wanted. You know, that is not, we don't want, that's not what we wanted at all. So I always wonder about that. And, you know, was he asked, you know, to deliver an eight minute ballad? Was this meant to, or, or was it, you know, you, you hire Bob Dylan and he delivers a song and then it's like, well, we got to use it because we hired Bob Dylan. You know, we can't, we're not going to bury this song. So when it's eight minutes, we're like, well, I guess we're putting it over the end credits because what else could we do with it? I'm always fascinated by that creative process. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, I was, I was actually thinking about that because, you know, you, you, you read about when he was writing songs for, for infidels and now he, I mean, it took him like, like 18 months or something to, to finalize the, the lyrics for, uh, you know, the, most of those songs. Like, I mean, like Joker, man, I think it, it was, it's just like a, almost like a tapestry or, or a, 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 um, a kind of collage of like different images that he put together over time. And, and yeah, you wonder like, if you're putting together a movie, you're directing a film and you, um, you know, hire Bob Dylan to write one of the songs. It, yeah. I mean, it's, it's like, knowing him as a songwriter, it must be very kind of a big risk to take, you know? And then yeah. I, th- I think a lot of the, the songs are like tell old bill and, and Huck's tune and, and even the waiting for you. I mean, they, they're not as like connected to the movie uh, in terms of the, the content of the song itself. Yeah. As, as this one is. So I, mean, I just wonder, you know, because he's such a Civil War buff, maybe somebody, you know, who's involved in that movie, you know, just thought like, oh, you know who would love to do a song for this is Bob Dylan. <laughs> That's true, probably. Yeah, it's, you're probably figured it's a safe bet that he would have a war ballad because yeah, Bob loves exactly. Bob loves things relating to being on horses, again, which which will play into the video, which we'll talk about shortly. <laughs> um, so like I said, this, the song goes on, the bells of evening have rung, there's blasphemy on every tongue. Let them say that I walked in fair nature's light and that I was loyal to truth and to right. Now, okay, I'm curious about this this verse. The the guy who is talking, the man who is talking, there's blasphemy on every tongue. And let it say I walked in fair nature's light, that I was loyal to truth and to right. This, in, From this guy's point of view, he's serving on the side of the right. That's his point of view. And mm-hmm. I'm guessing the line about blasphemy on every tongue is what he's hearing from presumably the North that his side is the, are the bad guys. And mm-hmm. this is some, now does that, first of all, is that your interpretation of it? Or do you think of something, think of, does it come across as a different way to you? Yeah, I, I, I think it's pretty much the same. I, I, I interpret it the same way. And, and it's kind of one of those, I think it's one of those uh, perspectives of, of, of being like a loyal soldier and, and believing mm-hmm. that you're doing the right thing, even when you're on the wrong side of history. And because I, I do think that the main character is, is a Southern soldier and, you know, maybe the, he's hearing word that the North is, you know, kind of uh, about to defeat the South. And that could be part of the blasphemy, too. Oh, and, OK. That's interesting. All right. Yeah, that, that's kind of that's kind of how I how I interpreted it. Um, and, and I think that's kind of what the, uh, the at the end of the day, you know, the guy dies and, you know, it, it goes to heaven. And th- there's a there's a line earlier in the song about the meeting in heaven, you know, souls meeting in heaven. And I think that has to do with, you know, how all these people, even though they're fighting against each other at the end of the day, um, well, assuming they went to heaven, <laughs> that's a whole different subject. But <laughs> when they run into each other, like they're basically, you know, all still human souls. Hmm. Um, and it doesn't really matter, you know, which side they fought on. Hmm. Interesting. I, I, don't, I don't really have, uh, I, that, I don't look at war that way. I do believe, you know, that there can be a good side and a bad side, <laughs> certainly in the Civil War. Um, so 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, he said, he goes on, he says, serve God and be cheerful. Look upward beyond beyond the darkness that masks the surprises of dawn. Again, what a beautiful phrase. Beyond the mm-hmm. darkness that masks the surprises of dawn. I mean, what That's a, one of the best in the song. Yeah. What a marvelous phrase. I mean, you could just take that and apply it to everybody's everybody's day. You know, as the day starts, what's what's ahead of me today? You know, <laughs> the surprises of dawn. What what am I going to be the same person when I hit when my head hits the pillow tonight as it is as I'm getting up now? Some days you're not. You know, some, some days you're genuine. Most days you are. Most you know, good change is gradual, but some days are huge. And you know, the the surprises of dawn. So the, again, that's a marvelous phrase. In the deep green grasses of the blood-stained wood. They never dreamed of surrender. They fell where they stood. And then he says, stars fell over Alabama. Of course, a famous song. I saw each star. You're walking in dreams, whoever you are. Chilled are the skies, keen as the frost. The grounds froze hard and the morning is lost. Uh, That, again, another great vocal performance. And and like you were talking about the idea of the uh, blasphemy being word that you've lost the war. Um, the morning is lost is a great yeah. phrase and it's a phrase in the culture, but yeah, the idea that um, I, I remember heard this once many years ago and I, if, it was a lot of resonance to me about there is no one who fights harder than the person who knows they've lost. And it sounds counterintuitive that phrase, mm-hmm. but what it meant at least to the person you say, and what it means to me is a person who's fighting for a cause once they know that that cause is over with, they know they are the last bulwark before it's all over, yeah. before, before obliteration. And so they fight, for some of them, conversely fight harder because they feel like I'm it. That's after this, my cause goes up in smoke. And the idea that getting up in the morning, the, mor- the ground froze hard. Uh, which is just, again, what a brutal climate to fight a war yeah. in at times, uh, the freezing cold. And then the morning is lost just to get up and know, like maybe you've heard the news already. It's over. We're done. We're going to keep fighting because we have to, but this is over. And so I, I really do like that verse quite a bit. And, and also talk about a timely parallel, uh, you know, yeah. with, uh, with what yeah. happened at our Capitol on mm-hmm. you know, the inauguration yep. about, about just, just total losers, you know, making a, a, a their last their last charge, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, oh, oh gosh, we could go down a rabbit hole, but <laughs> let's not. So, <laughs> so uh, the the penultimate verse: "A letter to mother came today. Gunshot wound to the breast is what it did say. But he'll be better soon. He's in a hospital bed, but he'll never be better. He's already dead. Now, yeah. you said it feels like it shifts perspective, but I always took it as the the dead person." is now a spirit and they're watching their mother receive this letter. Oh, and there's nothing they can do. They're watching their mother receive the word. Oh no, he's going to be fine. But the spirit is like, well, I'm already, I'm already there. And he's really referring to himself in the third person because now the spirit is looking down at his body. Like it's almost like a separate being. Huh. That's interesting. Yeah. That, that could, yeah, that, that, that actually makes a lot of sense. I never thought about it that way, but yeah, that makes sense that, and that could also, you know, that could also work for the crossing the green mountain um, mm-hmm. metaphor for, you know, going from life to death. Mm-hmm. It's also a really cool verse or, or line because it also makes you think of a time when you could get news about something and the thing had already changed like fundamentally by the time you got the news, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which mm-hmm. is like, you know, the opposite of, you know, now it's like within seconds, you know, the story can completely change on anything, but you know, the, getting a letter that, you know, your, oh, your son's been, been wounded, but no, actually, you know, he ended up dying, you know, maybe a few days after the letter was sent or whatever. It's, it's a pretty powerful and um, very Dylan-esque kind of way to look at, to, to way to look, a way to look at time and, and kind of moments and how they pass. When I, when I read that verse, this is a weird association. So apologies, everybody. But it, when I read that verse about what you just said about how the, the story has changed by the time the news even hits you, I think about a couple of years ago where that story came out that Tom Petty had passed away. Mm. And then it was like, Oh wait, no, he, he didn't pass away. And then it was like a, an hour later, like, no, 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 he did pass away. And there was a part of me that's threw my hands up and said, I don't know what the hell is going on. Like, how is this hard yeah. to figure out everybody? You know? And I just feel like we live in this modern technological world and yet we still can't get basic information like that straight. 
It just happens like we haven't made much progress in the 150 years since the Civil War. We're still like, you know, basic information like that is still being dispensed in a completely incoherent way. I'm just like, okay, all right. Um, That's very true. Yeah. yeah. Uh, So then the final verse, I'm 10 miles outside the city and I'm lifted away in an ancient light that is not of day. They were calm. They were blunt. We know them all too well. We loved each other more than we ever dared to tell. And so again, that to me that underscores the whole idea of the spirit who is now existing outside of mm-hmm. wherever it was that they lived, and uh, in, you know, in a literal sense, in a metaphorical sense, they're they're now being spirited away to the other side of that mountain. And another association I will make when I read this verse is, um, I, and I I keep I, I, these comparisons come up a lot, maybe because they're they're on my mind a lot because I two I do two different podcasts about it. But there is an episode of the show, uh, there's an episode of the show MASH, which everyone knows at this point, I'm a big fan. I'm going to do a show about that. And there's a season 10 show where a soldier dies at the beginning of the episode, and then we follow his spirit as he wanders the camp, and no one can see him. So, you know, there's Hawkeye and Colonel Potter, and they're talking, and this guy is slowly coming to the realization that he has died. And at the end of the episode, um, through the whole show, where no one uh, interacts with him at all, except Klinger, who is experiencing uh, an illness. He's like got like a fever. Hmm. At the end of the episode, he hears a voice, and it's another soldier. And this guy says, come on, it's this way. And they start walking down this road, this dirt road. And you see other soldiers, uh, clearly some Korean, some Koreans, walking and they're all just walking down this road and the one soldier says uh he says something like what did you think it was going to be like and the other soldier says i don't know and then the dead soldier that we've been following says where are we going and the other soldier says i don't know and that's the end of the episode Hmm. it's a grim dark episode um yeah it's heavy stuff but that's i i have that visual when i read this line of like all of a sudden, that guy who has been – he's been in camp the whole time while he doesn't still fully realize he's dead. When he finally realizes he is dead, that's when he has marched outside the city to something else. And that's what I picture when I read this verse. And, again, I think it's a great way to end the song. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's, it, it, you know what else is interesting is you, you mentioned that about the, the spirit – and and uh, you know out out of the body, and I know that um, you know Henry Timrod, who Dylan uh, grabs a bunch of lyrics from in, in several different songs. Uh, he, he appears a lot in, in a lot of his lines appear in "Spirit on the Water," um, and and then it, it, that um, the dim Atlantic line is is a is a line borrowed from Timrod. Mm-hmm. So that that's interesting. I mean that that he, you know, the Timrod kind of intersects with with this song, and then with a bunch of stuff on on modern times. Um, and I think one song on love and theft, but yeah, kind of related, but not related. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, and I, I was maybe a little too, uh, critical of it when we started the show. I do actually do like this song. I actually do like it a, a, quite a bit. It's just, it doesn't, uh, for, for one of his epic ballads, which is, this is, it doesn't hit me in a way that I would expect some of his other epic ba- epic ballads, I was about to say epic battles, his epic ballads uh, do like Murder Most Foul or Brownsville Girl or uh, even Imagine Spirit on the Water is like eight minutes, you know, and stuff like yeah. that. Um, the other, the song I think about in his catalog I mentioned earlier is from World Gone Wrong, The Two Soldiers, which is a oh, Civil yeah. War ballad. And I, first of all, I love that record so much. We got, I got to cover that more on the, on the show. Beautiful, yeah. Um, but I love Two Soldiers, and I feel like in some ways uh, that song and his performance of it conveys all the pain and misery and waste mm-hmm. and futility of a war, of the Civil War, in what, three minutes? That this takes like three times to do. So in my mind, I'm almost like, eh, if we're going to cover the civil like obviously you know you can only do one song about the civil war but to me it's like two soldiers to me gets to it much more effectively than cross the green mountain does but that's you know that's the breadth of dylan's catalog that he's got those two kind of polar uh ways of approaching the same subject right 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 yeah and, and certainly of the epics you know when you compare it to 
his other epics, I mean, this is not one of the great epics. <laughs> right. This would be like, you know, very, very far down that list for me. But it's still it's still a cool song and it's it's a really obscure Dylan song. I mean, for a long time until Telltale Signs came out, I mean, a lot of people hadn't even heard this song. Right. Because unless you're really, you know, you know, reading Expecting Rain once a day, you're not <laughs> um, you're not you're not getting like the latest and greatest information about Bob. And yes. uh, this could have easily slipped under the radar of, of a casual fan. Yes. Um, right. I mean, it's not across the Green Mountain, I think got a theatrical release but it wasn't a big one it wasn't like it was a mad you know even like th- uh, when things when he did the the things have changed got nominated for an oscar and you know that was a big wide release movie god it's funny to think about wonder boys that wouldn't even get theater release nowadays because <laughs> there's no superheroes in it although there's iron man but that's a subject different <laughs> so anyway so uh one of the things that is unique about this song of course is that it comes with a video uh, there is a, a, a video, as we mentioned, it was directed by Tom Kruger. Tom Kruger has done a lot of videos. He's done stuff for Bruce Springsteen, Sting, REM, Leonard Cohen. So it makes sense. He's in that universe to, to direct something with Bob Dylan. Um, I remember they debuted this. I think it was like during a sporting event or something. There was, which is funny, but there was a big, it, they made a big deal of it. They, they, that was announced that it was like, Oh, coming to tell you know it's going to debut at 6 p.m and i remembered i was at a friend's house and we were watching something and we changed the channel to catch this video because i wanted to see it um the video he said as we talked about it it does the first four verses of the song and it presents this sepia toned uh images of this civil war camp with uh, bob dylan himself in costume in that long-haired wig that he loves and a top hat riding into town and on top of that, <laughs> on top of that the band is involved too we've yeah. got <laughs> we've got larry campbell we've got tony garnier they're all in costume and yeah. it's intercut with footage from the movie uh so all right l- lay it on me uh, douglas what do you think I, I of mean, this as a video this, i mean we, we always we all know that dylan is is a horrible actor um <laughs> but but this is this is him at his absolute worst <laughs> how are you, how so? I mean, well he's just it, it, it's so awkward that just the, every single scene of him in this video is awkward just the, the way he's wearing the wig with that with the cap and, and and kind of the way that the director cuts from from dylan like kind of closing his eyes and shaking his head like you know kind of contemplatingly after watching the guy die and then it cuts to like Robert Duvall, like some random scene from the movie where Robert Duvall is looking down from his horse. It's just, it's just so cheesy. I mean, and, and, and Dylan, um, there's a part where he's leaning over the guy that's dead and, um, but, you know, looking into the eyes of my merciful friend and he, he kind of leans into the guy and he, he like mouths to, to the guy's face of my merciful friend. Mm-hmm. And it, like with this, like a very toothy kind of, um, <laughs> Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't know if you watched it. You know, recently. Oh, um, I have it on right now as we're talking. So I mean, it's 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 just there's never a, a moment in my life where I could watch this video and take it seriously. And I'm sure that they were all like trying to take it very seriously and make it as somber and respectful as possible. But you you see Larry Campbell with his like hat over his heart, like you know, next to the dead soldier. And it's just it's just. I mean, who are you trying to kid here? Like. <laughs> My problem with this video, uh, <laughs> my problem with this video is the intercutting, as you just mentioned, of of Bob. And again, look, Bob can't blend in. I know that his film debut was, of course, in a Western. So, I mean, he's a pure, but he sticks out. He's Bob Dylan. He's just too famous to blend into the background. He's incapable. I'm, I don't know if I'm ready to go out and say he's a bad actor I think that he has very limited range of what he can do. He has movie star charisma. That is for damn sure. I mean, to mm-hmm. me, he's on screen. You look at him. You know, yeah. you look at him. He's in a he's in an, a pretty bad movie with Dennis Hopper called uh, uh, Backtrack. And he's got one oh. scene in it. He's got one scene. And oh. he's so weird that, to me, it throws the movie off its axis. Because after he disappears from the movie, you're like, get back to that guy. Like, I don't care about this movie. You know, Dennis Hopper's a hitman chasing Jodie Foster. I don't care. Get back to that weird guy who was cutting wood with a chainsaw, played by Bob Dylan. Give me that guy. 
Um, I've never heard of that movie. Yes. Oh, you can find the scene on YouTube. Yeah. He's only oh, got yeah. one scene. Well, that's, yeah. that's, I'm going to do that right after this. Yep, yep, <laughs> yep. Uh, oh, I hunted that movie down just for that one scene. But anyway, <laughs> the, the problem with intercutting Bob Dylan and the band with the footage is you're buying, you know, the conceit. You know that the film, the, the shots of, of uh, C. Thomas Howell, I believe, is, is in this movie, and Jeff Daniels and Stephen Lang and Robert Duvall. Are there, that that's clearly filmed from the that scenes from the movie right. and it's being intercut now when they did that same thing for things have changed it works because that song is kind of like dark comedy mm-hmm. and that movie was a dark comedy or at the very least like a dramatic comedy so the 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 sort of silliness of the conceit that yes we are clearly stitching bob dylan into this footage of the actors from the movie kind of works, but when it's something as deadly serious <laughs> as the civil war, to me, it just doesn't, it just doesn't really work. You know, it just, and, and to me, the, the most effective part of the video was the scenes of the young civil war soldiers getting their portraits taken. Right. Uh, and, and we see that some of these people fighting are like 13 year olds. And that was something that, you know, that really happened. And the tragedy of that, of making a, a, a child, uh, you know, have to strap on a gun and go and go fight. But when they then cut to Bob doing <laughs> that same portrait in his in his in his peacoat and his and his top hat. And then we see the shots of the band. It's like, you know, you guys look like you had a fun time, but it just it looks weird to then cut back to like Stephen Lang, like looking all beady eyed and like as if he's actually reacting to what's going on. So, yeah, I don't think this idea really quite works i mean in a way it's kind of like mass anonymous where it's it's like just so bad that it's good it's well well we have to do we'll have to do an episode on that movie at some point too but it's it, yeah it, i watched it and it's just like okay it's cool that the band gets to like play dress up that's probably fun for them uh and i think that i don't know whether this was dylan's concept or tom Kruger's concept I think it was probably a valiant effort, but I just don't think it quite hangs together. Um, and it, the song itself is just some sort of dour that I think as a music video, it, it just doesn't, yeah. it just doesn't really completely work, but I'm glad it exists because I'm glad this was, I, I'm happy for every Bob Dylan video, even the bad ones. I'm happy <laughs> they exist because he doesn't do really videos much anymore. He does them very sparingly. So I'm glad that it exists. And obviously Warner brothers that produced this movie uh, had, some high hopes for the soundtracks. They spent the money to commission a video. I mean, you know, I mean, it, it, I imagine you have to really make an effort to get Bob to shoot a music video. So they must've all thought it had some validity to it. I, the, the funniest thing about that video or uh, among the many funny things about it is I, I just seen him on this like giant horse. You yeah. know? <laughs> Cause you know, when Dylan comes on stage, it's always the first thing is he's so thin and so small. He's like this tiny person and mm-hmm. seen him on this like giant, strong, muscular horse. Like <laughs> he looks like a bobblehead almost. <laughs> and you have Larry Campbell and Tony Garnier kind of, you know, accompanying him. And, and and like, who is he in the video? Like, who? What? What is that character that he's playing? Is he like a just some dude like coming to see how bad things are in in this civil war camp? Like, is he a, a civilian? Is he part of the military? Is he a journalist? Like, it's really confusing. He puts a picture of the the picture is taken of of one of the dead soldiers then he puts that mm-hmm. photo on the grave uh so there is something of a sort of through line through the, the thing but yeah i've never was able to quite figure out is he sort of the the spirit of is he just the omniscient narrator uh but yeah but then he seemed people seem to be reacting to him they seem to know that he's there uh so yeah and there's and there's a lot of production value i mean it looks the shots of the camp look genuine i'm sure they probably had that stuff lying around for the movie in that point but mm-hmm. but yeah it, it it does stand unique and that there is a video for it of course this has been played zero times live uh and uh, you mentioned that it was on telltale signs they put it on there because as you again as you mentioned most people probably don't even know it exists yeah so yeah. they they were nice enough to sort of collect huck's tune and and uh can't escape from you which has uh, never actually appeared in a movie uh, that's a song that I actually really love. And I, I'm amazed to think that was commissioned for a movie that never got made or whatever. But um, yeah, it's on that short list of Bob Dylan soundtrack songs. And, uh, you know, talking 
with you about it makes me kind of like it a little more. <laughs> that, that tends to happen in, on these episodes because I, I'm talking to someone who really is uh, sort of advocating for it. And uh, then I kind of come away from the going, oh, yeah, there's parts of it that, all right, yeah, that's pretty good or whatever. And like I said, I do like this song. It just, I wouldn't put it as like part of my top 200 favorite songs of his. But we also know, like you said, Bob's probably really nerding out on the Civil War details. He probably on some level enjoyed writing it. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if we found out that there was like a 17 minute version of this. <laughs> it wouldn't shock me at all that they were like, the producers were like, well, look, the credits run seven minutes. So can you prune it to seven minutes? It would, that I, I would imagine Bob's pouring through his, his history books, pulling out all sorts of details. And he's like, Oh yeah, I got a Highlands length version of this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, thank goodness that that would have been too much. I mean, it's eight minutes is enough. It's, it's, it's eight minutes is the right length for this, for, you know, and, and he packs a lot into it and yeah. uh, it, it does a good job. You know, speaking of, of, of episodes, you know, talking about um, listening to an episode of your show where you, your mind changes about a song, your episode on handy dandy did that. To me. <laughs> because I never really liked that song. And then I, I, and then when I, when you talked about it, it was just so, um, there was so much to it that I hadn't thought about. And, you know, that, that's what's so wonderful about your show. <laughs> all right. Okay. All right. Stop <laughs> Different ways of looking at things that we've been I, listening to for that, that makes me feel great because I love, I love that song and that was a fun show to do. So that's great. I'm glad that that word that uh, it worked its magic on you because uh, that's, like I said that that's what I hope for is so I love, I love everything Bob does to one degree or the next, even Joey, everybody, even Joey, yeah. I love everything the man does. It's just a matter of degree. So, well, Douglas, I mean, Wow. Thank you for, uh, as you say, swinging for the fences. This was a big one to do. And I appreciate you coming back on. You know, I, we really enjoy, I really enjoyed our talk when we did Tin Angel. Um, I, you managed to explain to me how I misread the whole gorilla line. Uh, which, which I, I appreciate oh, the, eighth, you, yeah, yeah. the eighth line, the eighth line. I misunderstood that line and you were able to school me on that, which I appreciate. So thank you for coming back and, uh, and, and talking this song with me. I always enjoy talking to you. This was a lot of fun, a ton of fun. <laughs> so uh, why don't you tell people where they can find you out on the internet? Well, you can find me on Twitter, um, Amankwala Rose, um, A-M-A-N-K-W-A-H, La Rose, L-A-R-O-S-E. Um, I also have a, a, a blog called Kava Sewer, which is where I, 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 I review um, a obscure medicinal route from the Pacific Islands. <laughs> wow. Um, I'll, I'll put it. I'll put a link to it in my on my Twitter. So you, when people go to my Twitter, they'll see it. But it's a it's it's a um, kind of alternative medicine that people have been using for thousands of years. But anyways, those are the two places that I would you know you know suggest people take a look at if they're interested in my bizarre world of <laughs> things. All right, fair enough. Of course, everybody. Uh, if you want to follow the show, go to the website firewaterpodcast.com. You can subscribe to Pod Dylan on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. We're always talking Bob on Twitter at pod underscore Dylan. And then finally, if you want to support the Fine Water Podcast Network, let's go to patreon.com slash fwpodcast. And there you can unlock various rewards, one of which is to be name-checked on a show of your choice. So big thanks to Robert Ward, Steve Cronin, Henry Bernstein, Max Hutzel, and Sebastian Krug for their support of Pod Dylan. That's going to do it. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will see you later. Bye. I crossed the green mountain I slept by the stream Heaven blazing in my head I, I dreamt a monstrous dream Something came up Out of the sea Swept through the land Of the rich and 